I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. And we're coming to you from the Kodo of the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharma Realm Podcast for April 2nd, 2010, and this is part two of our discussion of Buddhism and science fiction. What does any of this have to do with Buddhism? <laughs> yeah. Not that I'm not enjoying this conversation, but. <laughs> well, I think we've talked about some of the parallels. Well, I think that there are parallels and commonalities, but then there's also some major differences, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the other areas that um, I think is interesting is this idea of otherness that we've touched on, right? And that um, uh, in a lot of, we're getting maybe more into horror here, right? Which is a, is a kind of a parallel genre with science fiction. And, and one of the classic science fiction horror movies is Alien. The first one. one of the best movies ever. Right? Um, and that is... If we're going to go back to that whole better science fiction. Yeah. <laughs> that film is like, it's absolute other. Mm-hmm. Right? But it's interesting because it's kind of insectoid, the Alien, right? Which is kind of like Starship Troopers. Yeah. Um, and so we live with other beings that we don't have much sympathy for. Mosquitoes. Um, flies, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. maggots, right? We, we, in our normal life, don't have very much sympathy for these creatures. Um, and yet Buddhism, is they're no better or worse than us. They're other living beings. We have been that in the past. We probably may be in the future. Um, and so um, it's kind of interesting of this, you know, I think it's, it's asking a big question, you know? It's like, when it comes down to it, if it means survival or extinction of the human race or the alien race, do you kill them all? Right? And that's kind of Starship Troopers again, right? Of yeah, this, yeah. you know, this battle. Um, but, but I think this idea of this absolute other um, as frightening right. and terrifying. And, it, and it's interesting too because alien means other, uh-huh, uh-huh. right? And they never name the alien in that movie. It just always is alien, which you can mm-hmm. take on one level as just being well, it's an alien, i.e., not of this planet. Mm-hmm. But the word itself actually means other, so. It's always other. They yeah. can't even... They don't even give it a name, yeah. Yeah. which would familiarize itself. Yeah. Which is interesting because at the same time that the alien is the ultimate other, it also is invasive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? It actually oh, yeah. uses Parasitic. human beings as a host, so it's actually inside of us. Mm-hmm. Which is part of the horror because it's this complete other that then becomes right, right, right. inside somebody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With, of course, mm-hmm, happy. Oh, there's a happy ending to it, so... <laughs> I haven't seen it, have you? <laughs> <laughs> I've just seen the parody on Spaceballs. Okay. <laughs> and then another, um, to me, classic uh, other-centered storyline is something we've mentioned elsewhere, is Cthulhu and H.P. Lovecraft's work. And I think, I think we've mentioned this before, but just that often um, Cthulhu... And uh, these creatures that this whole mythos that H.P. Lovecraft created are interpreted as evil, right? And that there's this good side, too, of the elder gods or something that are on humanity's side. But I think if you just look at his work in itself, it's, no, they're not evil. They're beyond our distinctions of good and evil. They're just absolute other. Mm -hmm. They're a completely different reality that we can barely conceive of, and it's terrifying. And when it does break in, it's, it's... destructive and, uh, you know, and, and uh, horrifying, right? Again, this kind of, this terror, horror kind of aspect to it. 
Um, and so to me, that's an, uh, a uh, distinction maybe between that kind of uh, story of this absolute other that's terrifying and then Buddhism, and maybe especially the kind of Pure Land Buddhism of other power of Amida Buddha, mm-hmm. right? Where often Amida is portrayed as absolute other, and yet it's flipped around to where absolute. the horror is on our side, kind of, right? The horror of samsara, right? And then the other is actually compassionate. The other is light. The other is uh, positive, mm-hmm. right? And so, so I don't think that, always, you know, science fiction and Buddhism, I'm not trying to say that Buddhism is, does the same thing as science fiction. Sure. I think that sometimes the themes that we can find in science fiction can illuminate Buddhism maybe in the other direction, right? And I, right. for my personal quest, I think that was really important because I grew up, reading H.P. Lovecraft since I was like seventh grade. Like I've reread his stories over the past 30 years and I just keep can read them over and over and over again. And at first I read them just as like, wow, this is creepy. Um, but then to begin to pick up on the themes um, and, uh, and then it, I think, helped illuminate Buddhism in a way for me too. And this, you know, the, the Buddha as uh, compassion, mm-hmm. um, but that as something other. But, and yet we want to be like that. Right. And... And I think that can be the, one of the powerful things about science fiction is that it's a, it's sort of illustrative power. You can use it as an, as an illustration or as an example of some other point you're trying to, to get at. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also kind of want to go back to this idea of humanity and what it means to be the other in that context because in, in the sort of Cthulhu mythos, the other is this completely, completely other and you're not trying to become the other. But there is that recurring theme in other science fiction of the other and the other's relationship to humanity. And we talked a a minute ago about Data on Star Trek Mm -hmm. trying to be more human Mm -hmm. um, or Spock in the original series who was half human, half um, Vulcan Vulcan and what that means. Always negotiating that. Right. And then you can go to the Borg who are completely other, but they're also, they consume their other, right? They consume Mm -hmm. non-Borg things into their collective. And what does that mean? Um, but there's also, I think there's that sort of recurring theme of that relationship between self and other, mm-hmm. um, and, and how you negotiate that in different ways. Um, because there's all these characters who are not human, who are trying to become human or trying to emulate humanity, mm-hmm. right? Data tries to be more human. Um, even the Terminator and the second Terminator movie is asking questions about, you know, like, why do you cry or all these things and like trying to figure out how to be more non-robot, not necessarily more human, but just sort of, you know, not quite other, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's in the new Battlestar Galactica series that there's huge... I forgot about that. You forgot about (laughs) Battlestar Galactica? (laughs) I'm trying to forget. (laughs) Talk about depressing. (laughs) But I mean, Battlestar Galactica has many multiple levels, but uh, as one of the central themes there is this question of 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 who who is human right there's mm-hmm. that whole storyline of like all of a sudden some character is actually um one of the cylons mm-hmm. you know and what does that mean and the cylons have their own sense of humanity and how they interact with the world and and, and whatnot and so there's that question of 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 how you overcome those differences and how and the reason i'm, I'm bringing all this up is because we started talking about the other as amida and you know in the Pure Land narrative, if you want to call it that, we're trying to get there, right? We're trying mm-hmm. to become part of the other, mm-hmm. right? Where the other in, in the Pure Land mythos, 
to carry our sci-fi theme here. Um, the other is ultimate light and compassion and good, whereas in science fiction, usually the other is, you know, the Borg or robots or Cthulhu or whatever. Um, and yet, I don't know, I'm just throwing out ideas of trying to reconcile the self and the other and, and how that might play out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, see, and... And I bring up Battlestar Galactica because for some reason Reverend Matsumoto really loves yeah. <laughs> the, the the minister at the Berkeley Buddhist Temple. Loved. 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 Until he, the final episode. Oh, he didn't like the final episode. Yeah. Well, I never saw the final one uh, yet, uh, so. so. Don't tell me what happened. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate. <laughs> no, there's a few ministers that like Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, and, I, and I, I've never sat down and had a, 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 a long conversation with him about how they interpret it from a Buddhist point of view or, or whatnot, or if they just like it because it's good sci-fi. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it has a lot of dark things to say about humanity. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? The, and so, um, and sometimes Buddhism does that too. Sometimes. Right? <laughs> I mean, well, Buddhism can be totally positive, right? You can become Buddha, mm-hmm. right? That, uh, and the Buddha's compassion embraces all of us, right? And so we... Um, there is that really positive, bright side to Buddhism, but then there's also the very, um, you know, the evil person kind of rhetoric in, in um, Jodo Shinshu or, or the 108 passions or defilements and um, the three poisons and, right, that, that samsara is portrayed right. uh, very negatively. Right. Yeah. Or another way to look at that is it's just very honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think Buddhism acknowledges that humans are not perfect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're right that sometimes that's framed in terms of defilements or the evil person or whatnot. But um, anyway. It also recognizes the potential. Yeah. Or Buddha nature. Right. Right. That, right. that, that, that although we're lost in samsara, um, that this potential exists to um, turn it around, transform it into nirvana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So do you think that's where BCA ministers are finding the inroad to Battlestar Galactica? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't want to go that far. But But, <laughs> but, but that, you know. Um, as ministers, we've trained, you know, we're reading Shinran stuff, you know, you get a lot of this very negative view of humanity, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, and some people really react badly to it, I think, have, have reacted badly to that negative side in, um, you know, that don't tell me I'm evil. Sure. You know, which is maybe in the first place was a mistake to say you're all evil, right? Like that's not the <laughs> point. It's more of an existential kind of, right, subjective um, understanding of oneself, I think. But, um, and especially in our... Um, don't worry, be happy. Positive. Right? You're happy. You're you're good. But you're okay. I'm okay. Kind of thing. You know, yeah. like very trying to um, be positive sometimes in our um, just yeah. kind of Doctor Phil kind of sense maybe. Or, <laughs> although he can be kind of negative on people, telling people what's wrong with them. And I've never watched Doctor Phil, so I'm lucky. <laughs> um, but then that also brings up that question of of good and evil. Oh yeah, huh? You know, which you know, Shinran certainly talks about the evil person and and. You know, in I think contemporary American Shinshu, we try not to use the word evil because mm-hmm, it has all those it's bad very connotations. Contentious. Yeah, yeah. Um, but leaving aside that issue for a second and getting back to sci-fi, um, that's another huge theme in sci-fi is, is you know that that idea of good and evil, and I think that a lot of really good sci-fi challenges even that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where the the bad guys are not necessarily bad or they're not completely bad or they're more sympathetic Battlestar Galactica certainly gets into that where there's you know the Cylons ostensibly are very very evil mm-hmm. they're the bad guys but mm-hmm. at the same time they destroyed Caprica and blah 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 yeah billions of people genocide sure. the human race yeah and- but at the same time they're often very sympathetic characters and mm-hmm. it's not like the humans are much better right right, right. Um, 
there's episodes of, of the Star Trek with the Borg where there's, you know, sympathetic Borg characters that mm-hmm. turn away from the Borg and become more human. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> seven of nine. <laughs> um, well, see, so that, that, that mm-hmm. I, again, sci-fi, I think, raises that question of what is good and evil, and I think that's a more productive thing to do in Buddhism. I think the reaction to conversations about evil in Shin Buddhism particularly are, oh, no, no, let's just not call it evil people. Let's just, you know, call something else and not really have that conversation about what what evil means mm-hmm. and what good means and why we assume that we're good and we don't yeah, want to, a, you know, want to acknowledge being bad or, you know, and, and what does Shin Wan mean by evil or what do we mean when we say th- things are bad or evil or whatnot. Um, and I think that sci-fi gives you that uh, that sort of space to raise those questions and, and think about them in different ways. Um, I, for example, one of our one of the graduate students here at the IBS is doing her thesis on Batman, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that one of the reasons she's doing that is because in the Batman uh, narrative, there's that whole question of good and evil, not only within the character, you know, obviously like with, with the villains and, you know, uh, the most recent Batman movie with the, the Joker had a lot of interesting things to say about good and evil. But the character Batman himself is sort of is, you know, he's the dark knight, meaning that he's trying to do good things, but he's doing them in a, he's being he's being a vigilante. He's mm-hmm. doing he's breaking the law in order to do good. So what does that mean for good and evil? And mm-hmm. so we can explore those questions in a really, I think, productive way mm-hmm. through sci fi and then maybe bring that over to Buddhism and saying things aren't so clear, right? Mm-hmm. It's just not, you know, what is what is evil? Mm-hmm. Um Matrix is another one, and I realized the my favorite Matrix thing is in Animatrix. Oh yeah, it's yeah. in the, the the collection of anime that uh-huh, they created, uh-huh. and there's one that gives the background to why the machines are at war with the humans. Right, and it's because the machines were slaves. Yeah, created by the humans, and so this is again like a lot of other things, right? Mm-hmm. It's a kind of seems to be a common theme, and maybe it's a harbinger of the future um, <laughs> for us, right? But that's kind of be careful. Yeah. Right. Before you start genetically manipulating things to create um, better things for for our benefit, and think that, about the, the consequences. Same thing that happens right? in Battlestar Galactica is that machines are made for human human uh, service, mm-hmm. you know, and they eventually rebel. Mm-hmm. So the the moral of the story is don't make machines. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> World War Terminus has already happened. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, you were going to say go on with that. I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> I mean, but it's just maybe, um, and it's not that the, I think that it looks at the beginning, the humans are good, the machines are evil. Yeah. Right? Oh, that in the Matrix? In the Matrix, yeah. in Battlestar Galactica, in um, Terminator, Terminator, right? Uh, uh, Blade Runner, right? All these, these created things are evil, right? And the humans are good. And so mm-hmm. they're the enemy. Right. And yet it seems in all of them, uh, we're asked to question our own motivations, yeah. Right? We're asked to look at it from the bigger picture and rather than just buy into this um, contentious, violent relationship, right, to, to take a step back and look at, well, what's going on here? Why, you know, how did this happen? Are we necessarily right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's saying things about present day, right, about yeah. just the way that humans are. Um, it seems like a lot of times, um, and creation comes into this, right, who created the robots, um, and and I think maybe maybe um, well and and well, our culpability or our responsibility to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sentient artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. right? If we created the robots, then 
not only how responsible are we for our own undoing in in the post-apocalyptic versions of that story, but also how does that make us gods, mm. right? Like, mm. do we have something, which is another issue that I think some science fiction raises is that question of, you know, humans have this godlike power of being able to create, you know, human-like replicants that we use as slave labor off-world. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what I don't. Anyway, <laughs> no. Just the the central question of of what does it mean to be human, and maybe what it means to be human is our ability to create life, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't think is true. But <laughs> but it raises. I mean, but it raises really you know important questions, and and mm-hmm. I think that are Frankenstein, right? I mean, of course, this is yeah. these are themes that go back. Um, and probably even further, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. And, and Frankenstein's another interestingly dark book. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. <laughs> it's not just questions about you know what it means to be human and, and creating life, but also there's a whole subtext about in in my in my reading of it, there was a whole subtext of sort of the uh, how we're using nature or how we're destroying mm-hmm. nature and, and sort of the relationship of, of of human beings to the natural world, and mm-hmm. which is another layer of. I don't know. This is this is why I like sci-fi because you can go, you can peel back layers and, and get mm-hmm. more and more commentary on things. Mm-hmm. So, what are your thoughts on time travel? Don't get me started on time travel. <laughs> <laughs> as, as my wife knows, I won't shut up about time travel. <laughs> um, I, I just I, for some reason I'm I've always been really attracted to time travel as just a, a interesting thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that. There, and there must be something there, right? Because time travel is a huge mm-hmm. uh, theme in a lot of different styles of uh, different genres of literature and film and whatnot. Um, so I, I'm not alone in my interest in, in time travel. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and it, if you have a problem in Star Trek, there's always an there's easy always solution. There's always time travel. Time travel. <laughs> um, and I don't, uh, I, I don't know how much time travel can tell us about uh, Buddhism or if there's anything really there to say about that. Although, you know, there are interesting things in some of the Mahayana sutras of, of Buddhas sort of traveling to different uh, realms and sort of being in more than one place at one time. And that mm-hmm, sort of opens mm-hmm. up questions that you could always, you know, look at in a time travel sort of way. But Well, I think, and I think one of them is this kind of uh, comparative thing to, to take the present mm-hmm. and compare it with another situation, mm. right? And so I think the Time Machine by H.G. Wells is uh, an example where you know he's um, engages in social critique right. with the time travel um, motif, right? Right, and is able to say, "Wow, look at these weird people in the future. Our planet, you know, has this strange thing of you know this." leisure upper class and these, right. you know toiling masses or whatever and he's talking about now right yeah and, of course <laughs> but again putting it in a different context that you know yeah uh, may, makes makes the con the um makes that uh the comparison interesting mm-hmm. huh. yeah uh, yeah definitely but i think that the other part of time travel for me has to do with that idea of being able to change time mm-hmm. and i think that if anything else we can just sort of ask hypothetical questions of karma theory mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i mean the karma in and of itself is a very we've talked about karma haven't we a little bit yeah, yeah um in some previous episode yeah um 
that in of itself is just a, a vast topic we could talk about for days. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the central questions in karma has to do with um, what in Western philosophy would be called determinism and whether or not things are sort of destined to happen because of past karma. Right, right, right. If you add time travel to that mix, then the question becomes, can you change your present condition in the past? Mm-hmm. Can you go back in time and change your karma, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Um, and different science fiction theories of time travel would have different answers to that. Right, right. <laughs> the grandfather paradox and then... Can you What's that? The grandfather paradox? You've never heard of the grandfather paradox? Well, maybe our, <laughs> maybe our listeners haven't. I think at this point, our only listeners left are the ones who are interested in science fiction. <laughs> But the grandfather paradox is the question of whether or not I could go back in time and kill my grandfather. And if I did kill my grandfather, then he ostensibly would not father my mother and then I would never be born. Mm-hmm. And then how would I be able to go back in time and kill him? So it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a logical paradox. Okay. Um, and different time travel theories have different answers to that paradox. Mm-hmm. And there are certainly some time travel theories that say that it's impossible to change time once it's happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, as you were saying before well, we record we started recording with the Doctor Who paradox right the Doctor Who not paradox but um, right the Doctor Who universe people try to change the past but then find out that that effort was actually what created their present right and so they're kind of stuck in a loop um, but that uh, uh, time lords such as Doctor Who are the only ones able to change time right so if you're not lucky enough to have a Time Lord with you, then you, you're, you're stuck. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas uh, in the Star Trek universe, uh, it seems to be the answer is that you can change time, but when you do, you create a whole alternate reality or alternate universe mm-hmm. in, in some, some versions, episodes. in some episodes, yeah, yeah. Um, which is comes up in actual physics, theoretical physics. There's a whole theory about multiple universes and theoretical, theoretical physics that mm-hmm. I won't even try to even explain th- because I... <laughs> <laughs> It's not. Time, I don't think time travel is necessary for that. No, no, no. Though, in right? in but, the yeah. I, as far as I understand of the idea of parallel universes, those happen sort of on their own anyway. Right. right. Um, and that theoretically, in that realm, if you went back in time, you wouldn't necessarily be going back to the same timeline. Mm-hmm. If you could jump into other other you know, quantum uh, realities right, or whatever. Right. Yeah. Which is a whole other. I hate when that happens. I hate when that happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> Terminator has a bunch of time travel stuff. Yeah. And um, very complex, I think. And not at first, right? But I think as the stories develop, they begin, it begins Gets to blossom. Gets more and more complex. Blossom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what's another one that I was thinking of? Oh, 12 Monkeys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 12 Monkeys is somewhat deterministic um, in a really interesting way. I think, but that has grandfather, a variation yeah, on the yeah, grandfather yeah. paradox and, and very and, sad. And it suggests that you can't change the, you can't change the, right, right. what's going to happen is going to happen no matter what. And even when right. you try to fix it, you end up. That was actually what happened. Right. right. That was part of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's caught in an infinite loop. Yeah. And, and the, have you ever seen the original film that that's based on? It's based on a French film. Oh, it's right. a short story, oh, yeah, short yeah, film yeah. Uh-huh. and, um, just very, um, mind twisting yeah. and, uh, Sad, yeah, um, very melancholy, and and I think Twelve Monkeys as you wait, know. there was a sad French film. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies to all things French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Jerry Lewis was a clown in it. <laughs> that is sad. <laughs> so, um, but but anyway, yeah, it raises. I think time travel raises that question of mm-hmm. of how much, uh, really, how much free will do we have, and how much. Uh, 
you know, choice do we have and, and, and the decisions we make and can we really, you know, if you could go back, could you change them? But then that to me raises the question of, well, how much choice do we have now? Or are we right. already sort of stuck in a loop, right? It's inevitable that I'm going to make some decision to unleash a virus on the earth and make Bruce Willis have to come back and save me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is interesting. You know, this issue of free will and Buddhism is interesting because a lot of times um, I think that the, it, we have these stories of, you know, when the Buddha starts talking about their past lives, right? And that, mm-hmm. oh, in a past life, uh, you were um, whoever, and I was, you know, or he, t- you know, telling these stories, that's why it is the way it is because of these things that happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, too, with the Buddha uh, having his Buddhahood predicted in the past, right? Right? That there was a time when I was, or there was a, uh, you know, a young boy and whoever, and, the, um, the Buddha at that time um, predicts that this boy will at some future time attain Buddhahood. And that was me, that boy, you know. And so, so you get these kind of, it seems deterministic, huh? Yeah. There is this kind of determinist side. And, um, and, yet, and yet, karma, um, the Buddha, I think, the point of Buddhism is that you, you can break the bonds of karma. Yeah. What? The bonds yeah, of I karma can be broken, right? So there's these kind of parallel um, themes going on. Huh? Yeah, I think there's two. I mean, there's two things to come up for me, and that is, on the one hand, is that yes, the Buddha sort of determined or predestined to become the Buddha, but at the same time, there's also in his the the narrative of his life, he's presented with a choice, mm-hmm. right? And the 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 king's soothsayers or whoever they are say he's either going to become a great enlightened spiritual master, or he's going to become a king, mm-hmm. right? Um, so either those guys just didn't know what they were talking about, <laughs> or the Buddha had a choice. He could he could make that decision, and and theoretically, you could argue that maybe he you know, even after he saw the the the, the corpse and the sick person and the old person, he could said, uh, I'm just yeah. going to stay in the, in the palace. Yeah. <laughs> I realize how nice the inside <laughs> of the palace is, right? <laughs> which which is what you were saying that there's also that potentiality that you can change the direction of your that you're headed in mm-hmm. i think that that i would argue that you almost have to believe that you can change the direction your life is going in in buddhism otherwise um the potentiality for becoming enlightened is out of totally out of your control mm-hmm. and if that's true then what's the point of doing anything so i see it as a tension yeah between um and i mean there's there's other ones as well where actually the buddha's biography can be viewed as just a manifestation, mm-hmm. right? And that, yeah, there was no choice involved because it was Buddha reality manifesting in that to inspire those who are not Buddhas. Right. Right. And yet we're supposed to be inspired to make the same choices, right? To try and uh, um, aspire to that that uh, path, that mm. pattern of, of um, being ignorant and then awakening from that ignorance and trying to attain a nirvana or whatever. Which gets back to what is reality. Uh-huh. Right, 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 right. <laughs> because to me, it seems like you could also read this whole thing that perhaps illusion itself is a choice, right? Perhaps, mm. you know, if, if everything sort of is already going to happen the way it's going to happen, then even when I think that I'm making a choice, I'm not actually making a choice from a point, from an enlightened point of view, right? That maybe the Buddha thought he was choosing, or Siddhartha was, thought he was choosing to go on the life of an ascetic, but in reality, he was just manifesting enlightenment, right? Mm-hmm. It was going to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, which brings up that question of, well, what is reality? And, and looking at what we think is reality in a different way. Mm-hmm. Reading the same story from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. Question sci-fi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sci-fi. 
Ignorance <laughs> is bliss. What was that guy's name in the Matrix with the mustache? The kind of the bad guy who just who betrays everybody. Cipher. No, Cipher is one of the good guys, isn't he? No, it was Cipher. Was it? I think so. Okay. If I'm wrong, he's, he's, if he, I'm wrong, we're gonna get angry emails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he takes a big bite of steak. Yeah. So. I've, have we exhausted the topic? <laughs> <laughs> Sci-fi and Buddhism. <laughs> Have we angered any fanboys or anything, or fangirls for that matter? <laughs> Neither one of us said anything terribly controversial. We didn't say that. Uh... Wait, we never got into the Kirk versus Picard thing. Yeah, or... yeah. Yeah. Do you have a strong preference? Um, I think I'm more of Picard kind of person. Although the movie kind of changes things. <laughs> <laughs> the reboot? Yeah, the new <laughs> That's another thing. Time travel can revitalize a franchise. Exactly. <laughs> Time travel is awesome. <laughs> Probably Battlestar Galactica after this new Caprica thing and the other thing. After it's all done, then they can introduce time travel. Yeah, yeah. Have again. you started watching Caprica? And I recorded them, but I haven't watched them yet. Because there's a whole other question in there about what rea- reality is a big issue there, but also, again, humanity. <laughs> and and, and a certain, in a certain way, consciousness. Uh-huh. because I don't think this will spoil anything for anybody who hasn't seen it yet, but one of the things that happens in this uh, story is that they have this uh, virtual reality thing you can go into. It's very much like Second Life. You have, they are, they're called avatars, but it's like three-dimensional, and you can like feel it with your body when you go into this other world. Mm-hmm. And this uh, girl creates an avatar of herself and somehow gives the avatar all of her personality but also is able to access uh, information about her stored in computer databases around the world. So it raises interesting questions about like how much personal information we give to like Facebook or whatnot, because it's sort of like mining this data in order to create this representation of this other person. Um, So her consciousness sort of gets downloaded into her avatar Mm. and that the consciousness sort of breaks free of this virtual world. And it raises this question of what is consciousness and it, yeah. So that's a whole other podcast episode after yeah. after you start watching it. Okay. <laughs> well, and this interesting thing about science fiction too is that science fiction is driven by technology, current technology, current science, right, and social issues, and and social issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we'll probably see uh, new new versions, new new themes mm-hmm. built on old themes, maybe. But I think new stuff too will will um, continue to come out as our bizarre reality that we currently inhabit because <laughs> uh, things are you don't notice that's another thing is it i mean that's part of i think that we don't notice how amazing the devices that we have now are if you've been using them for like the past five or ten years yeah right and then like the iphone comes out and you're just like cool right and you just start using it yeah and don't realize like how powerful like the iphone it is. is the Hitchhiker, hitchhiker's guide oh yeah <laughs> I mean, think about it. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. They had a little device, and you could type in, you know, a question, and it would just immediately give you the answer, no matter where you were. Wow. Which is what you can do with an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Well, you when you it. when you access the internet, right? You right, can. Right. Sort of... And then it's also like a communicator in Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and I mean, cell phones are kind of like that, but then it's also like a tricorder almost, right? You can. Right. Um... But then it, this is. Uh, how I think what also helps with good sci-fi is this ability to look at new technology and ask different questions of it and be attuned to what's happening because one of the interesting things with a lot of new technology right now is this question of um, 
how much information we're giving mm-hmm. out into the ether, <laughs> as well as these devices that can sort of track where you are, like with a cell phone or a um, GPS kind of thing. Yeah. And, and that raises questions about, I don't know what, but yeah, yeah. I think well, it's definitely a, you know ripe for <laughs> not just the sort of policy debates that I think people are having, but also questions of, you know, what it, how how we interact as a society and how we are use again how we're using technology to uh, mediate our experiences mm-hmm. with other people. Mm-hmm. And Buddhism probably offers other perspectives that yeah. could be really fruitful. Huh. Yeah, I know a lot of a lot of Buddhists who are also Luddites. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Because it seems like I know a lot of Buddhists that are techno geeks. <laughs> yeah. Well, here we are. <laughs> Present company excluded, of course. But I, and by by Luddite, I just mean that I know a lot of Buddhists who who like to make the argument that you know Buddhism is Buddhism ostensibly wants us to have a direct experience with reality, um, and these devices that we use to communicate with our friends or to post things on Twitter or Facebook or, surf or the, or internet, surf the internet is sort of taking us away from reality, and we're not experiencing reality directly. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. I interesting. I disagree with that. Right, right. And I <laughs> because think, to me, mm-hmm. it seems like what you're doing then is you're saying that all of these gadgets and devices aren't real. Is that right? really what you're saying? Yeah, I think <laughs> so. If, I think that if you're saying that you're the only way to experience reality is without technology, then what you're saying is that the experience that technology is giving you is not real. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right, right. Um, the, the device is real, but the experience is not. Right. And, and I think that the experiences that you have through mediated devices are a kind of reality. Mm-hmm. Whether they're no less or more real than our right. regular the a certain kind of reality like right. we said in our, at our live podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and at the same time I also don't think that you can make the claim that Buddhism says that we should only have a certain kind of direct experience with a certain kind of reality. I think that mm-hmm. you could easily make the argument that Buddhism is actually asking us to question what reality is and question our experiences and really investigate our relationship to the world. Yeah, which, I think it's it's much more flexible actually. Yeah, yeah. And Buddhism will develop should develop so that to be able to critique and understand uh the way that our yeah, our human existence is changing rapidly and radically these past right. um five, ten years or so, right? Um and that it yeah, it won't say, ah, that's that's bad and just get rid of it, right? But yeah. that it'll creatively um, address those things, and and that's one thing I like about Buddhism. Well, that interesting um, uh, link that you posted about, you know, would there was a, some survey about like would for to religious people, if we discovered there was alien life, <laughs> will um, that hurt your faith? Mm-hmm. What will what effect will that have on your faith? And um, I would think Buddhism would be like, no problem. That's just okay. Let's run with it. There's some more sentient kind of things thing. out there. Didn't you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because it was not built around the creation myth and, yeah, yeah. and all that kind of things. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was nice. Who knew that Buddhism and science fiction could be such a uh, fruitful enterprise? We did. We did. <laughs> That's where we did it. <laughs> we could probably talk about more stuff at some point uh, in the future. But yeah. uh, for now, I think we'll just uh, beam out of here. <laughs> Thank you.